everybody. Welcome to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. So we are finally wrapping up Judges, which seems crazy, but this is also like probably the craziest section of Judges. And to be honest, we're not the most psyched to be going through this with you all. Yeah, it feels gross. It does. I just kind of want to get it done and over with. And in, in, in every way possible it pulls all the ridiculous storylines together into one stupid story that's just gross but before we get started with the basic storyline we need to give a couple shout outs yeah so we we have an instagram for all of you that want to follow and the only feedback we've received so far is you all need to do more shout outs so. <laughs> that is the feedback that we received and so we'd like to give a shout out to one of our newest follows, Rick. What is it? Rick inside James's head. He's he's the voice. Rick, the voice inside. Let me let me just double check. Rick is the voice in James's head. And he has his own Instagram now. And he just recently followed us. And him and his the person who is the head. What what would that be called? The whatever. The host, the host, schizophrenia. <laughs> oh my word! And a friend, they spammed our newest, um, our most recent post with a good like thirty-five comments. Yeah. So this is a shout out to Rick. He's just one of the many voices in James's head. Yep, Rick from inside James's head. If you'd like to go follow, do so. I don't know what you're going to be seeing there, but there is a post. We can't guarantee that it's worth your time. <laughs> But, what is that? But we were asked to do a shout out and we're obliging people. I think this is how you do it, Erica. You I think do, this is how you do a shout out. This is how you do shout outs. Rick, from inside James's head. I want to give one more shout out if I could to my favorite sports team. I give a shout out to the Chicago Cubs. What are you well, shouting out about? There's nothing to oh, shout out about. Just say hey. Just shouting out. <laughs> I think it'd be great if they decide to play baseball at some point this summer. And I was just thinking that I saw a thing of a past game that I'd gone to and I was like, man, I would love to go to a baseball game. But a tiny bundle of protein that is alive has ended the world. So. That was a good way of putting it. And as it's multiplying over and over again, we all get to watch nothing. Although I'm watching The Last Dance. Phenomenal. The Bulls. Yeah. The Bulls documentary on ESPN. Legit. It's really good. I've only watched like a half of an episode and then another half of an episode. Yeah. But it's really good. And a, a reminder, this is a college and young adult podcast, so we're recommending it to them. I I wouldn't recommend it for like my kids because... They do have some adult language. Yeah, and some themes. Mm-hmm. There. Mr. Rodman. Yeah, he's fun. Makes things awkward. <laughs> my kids walked in last night. Who's that? Is that Scotty Pippen? No, that's Dennis Rodman. Who's very, that? Very different. Who's that? Still Dennis Rodman, just older version of Dennis Rodman. Yeah. He's weird looking. Yeah. That's what he's going for. 
That's what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, general shout out. I don't know if that's how you do these, but shout out to all the people who commented on our last post about what you're listening to. Keep it up. Word up. <laughs> is, that how we do, is that how we do shout outs? Shout out. Shout out. Word up. All right. We're so cool. We're, we're going to do these more often. Man. You want to get a shout out. Get no shout outs you out of the way. You got to say something to us. Well, we're having fun. And you know what we're having fun doing? Shouting out? We're having fun oh. shouting out and avoiding Judges 19 through 21. <laughs> That's really what we're trying to do. So maybe we should stop avoiding it and move into the basic storyline of Judges 19 through 21. So if you're wondering why we've, you know, we've, we've done part of Judges with just like a chapter at a time. But here we're putting three chapters together and you might be thinking, why did you do that? Well, if you, if you were to read Judges 19 through 21... And I will warn parents now, if you're listening to this with your child, uh, I don't know that this is the best episode to do that. And if you're like, not sure, pause it, go read 19 through 21, decide if you would read that with your child. It's kind of NC-17. Is that yeah, maybe. If they d- if you wouldn't read it with them, then maybe just listen to the podcast on your own later tonight while you're not watching the Cubs because there's nothing to do. <laughs> so here's the basic storyline. A wandering Levite, which sounds familiar, right? We had that in chapter 18, has a concubine, which means a partner who will never be married to you. But every other relational aspect of the relationship is allowed to happen, but she will never be given the rights of being married to you. So like a an ancient friends with benefits? Continual mm. for the lifetime. And it's just like agreed upon too. So it's not. She has signed can up. Can never get awkward. Can never be weird. She has signed up to be with you. Mm-hmm. It's like She is being taken almost. care of by you. And she is taking care of you if you catch the drift. However, I catch it. I however, catch it. she's never going to have the rights of mm-hmm. a wife, which is sad on its own. And. Something happens between these two people. She goes home to live with her father-in-law, or her father, his father-in-law, in Bethlehem. So he goes down to find her. He finds her. The father-in-law's super excited about the son-in-law coming to get the daughter. And so they hang out for three days. On the fourth day, he gets up to leave, and the father-in-law says, no, 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 why don't you stay for another day with us? So they do. They eat and they drink till late in the night, and they go to bed. On the fifth day... He wakes up to leave, and the father-in-law says, no, 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 stay with me again. And this time, he does leave, but it's not until after a day full of drinking and partying again and eating. So when they leave the town of Bethlehem, they they head past a a city that eventually is going to be called Jerusalem. And we've mentioned that back in Judges 1. So remember, like, there's a lot of storylines that are going to get pulled together here. They walk past where the Jebusites live. And they choose not to stay in the Jebusite city, partly because they're nervous about living with non-Israelites. That's at least part of what's going on here. So they choose an Israelite city to be safe. Now, if you were going to, the deeper dive is going to be fairly short. So I'm going to add a little more to the storyline here because there's some things that are important for us to notice. If you were to go back to Genesis, and we talked about Lot and his daughters weeks ago because Mm -hmm. the Edomites... And the Moabites both come from an incestuous relationship. 
you go back to that story, Lot is living in a land that is not Israelite and the things that the men want to do with the angels is inappropriate. So they choose not to stay in the Jebusite city, but they go on to the Israelite city called Gebeah. And you're supposed to be safe there. Yes. But in Gebeah, the men come to the door. And this is a city in the tribe of Benjamin. So if you look at the, the map that we've provided, you'll see the tribe of Benjamin, where it's at. And Gebeah is one of the towns there, or cities there. The men of Gebeah want to have their way with this Levite, this wandering Levite. So the old man that he's staying with says, well, I have daughters in here and, a con- and he has a concubine. So why don't we just give those to you? And the men outside don't want that, but basically they eventually take the offer and mm-hmm. take a concubine. And they ravage her all night long. And if you think I'm making that up, you can go read the story. And they ravage her so brutally that in the morning she has no strength and she's crawling back to the house trying to get back to this, this man who's supposed to take care of her. She gets all the way to the door and she dies. So the Levite, who is obviously a caring individual, throws her on the back of a donkey because he realizes she's dead and he just chucks her on the donkey or whatever. Mm -hmm. They start riding away. And when they ride away, he gets to where he's going and he then cuts her into pieces, 12 of them specifically, and sends a piece of his concubine to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> like, I can't, you can't make this up. But I mean, this is just so nasty and terrible. So the Israelites, of course, are like, nothing like this has ever happened. This is terrible. So their response is to go confront the tribe of Benjamin so that the tribe of Benjamin can basically hand over the people from Gebeah, right? Okay. The idea is they, they show up to say, hey, get them out here. They're not supposed to be around you. This They've committed a travesty. This shouldn't be happening. And the tribe of Benjamin basically says, no, we're not going to do that. So the tribe of Benjamin gets together all their weapons and the, the Israelites get together all their weapons and they build this massive two armies. I mean, we're talking 400,000, 300,000 men on, on each side here. And they start to fight because why not, Right. And so we've had all these like little That's hints. How we solve problems? We've had all these hints of civil wars. Remember, all, the Ephraimites have been like just a disaster multiple times, and right, there's just been weirdness and a whole book of judges. But this gets down to the point where the Benjamites kill off a bunch of Israelites. So the Israelites keep going back, and it says that they they consult God, and God says go up and and get them. But it's a weird thing because you're not sure who, what that means. Like you're not sure who's talking to God or how this is done. You know, are they just like painting a picture and and they're like, oh, we're going to win because the picture says we're going to win and it's the Lord. And like we don't, we, there's a lot of weirdness here. We don't know. Like some, some have read this story with me before and they've been like, well, the Lord's telling them to go up and they don't, it doesn't happen. Well, who determined that? And how does that, that's, that's a detail out of the story that's not there for us that we're supposed to, I think, think about and go, huh, I wonder who's hearing the voice of God because up to this point in the whole book, God hasn't spoken very much because people are way far removed from him. I mean, it can also be a consequence. 
I think it is. You know? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what I'm. What, what's happening there is that the, the Lord is so far removed from the people that whatever they're listening to, it might be the Lord speaking, but it might not be. I mean, do we just there's there's an uncertainty there. So they finally go up to battle again, and this time they lay in wait to destroy the Benjamites by laying a trap in the town of Gebeah. So the Benjamites leave Gebeah to go fight, and as they're fighting. They start chasing the people down and the trap is set. So they go into Gebeah, they destroy Gebeah while the Benjamites are all running around doing their thing. And then they just slaughter almost the whole tribe of Benjamin. I mean, there are no women, children are killed. And part of the travesty of Judges chapter 20, which is where we're at in the story now, is if you go back and read Judges 1, which we started with weeks and weeks and weeks ago, the Israelites did not do their job to clear out the land. The most effective battle strategy they have in the book of Judges to accomplish the works of what God would want is this battle right here, but they're destroying one of the tribes of Israel. It's just a, the fact that these are the two bookends, you know, chapter one is I didn't accomplish the task. Chapter 20, we accomplished the task, but we basically destroyed one of the tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. It should make us weep. Like it should make us just feel terrible about the whole thing. So... They destroy the tribe and then they make a vow. We're not going to give anybody anything. This is over. You know, the tribe of Benjamin is basically going to be destroyed and we're not going to give them any of our daughters, blah, 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 blah. But then in chapter 20, 21, they start looking around. They're like, oh, but the tribe of Benjamin doesn't have any daughters. <laughs> they have no one to marry. Oh, we basically have destroyed the tribe. What are we going to do? But they've made an oath, which sounds familiar, does not, right? I mean, we have Jephthah, we have these other oaths that have been made to the Lord that are just ridiculous. So because they've made an oath to the Lord that they're not going to give their daughters away, they choose to keep their oath and find a shady way to get, you know, the Benjamites' wives. So what they do is they have this festival where they have all their daughters dancing around a fire, which is a weird, like we have no idea what festival this is. It, it could be a festival similar to what was practiced with Jephthah's daughter. Now that she remember, cause mm. it said that the Israelites do this all the time where they, they celebrate. So it could be that we're just not totally sure, but I, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if this is like all of those storylines pulling together here. So there's all these young women dancing around, uh, celebrating this festival, whatever it is. And they have the Benjamites lie in wait. And then they, they basically run up and pick off women and go marry them and have a bunch of babies. And that's how the book of Judges ends. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I was just looking at the end and it's like, oh, and if their fathers and brothers complain, just kind of tell them, oh, well, just like basically say to them, grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to... Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. So it's like you'd be guilty because you gave them. Since we just took them, you're good because you didn't actually go against, like, the the oath or whatever. It is. It's a very sneaky way of actually. And what is the last verse? Well, and before you get hit that, because we're going to totally do that in just <clears throat> okay. a second, but before we hit to that verse, let me just point out here really quickly. If If – the book of Judges, and specifically this part of it, if it just makes you feel icky and you go, where is God in any of this? That's part of what we're supposed to feel. Like the basic storyline to the book of Judges ends with just the worst of the worst. Like one way to look at it, you know, if you've watched Breaking Bad 
or if you're familiar with the idea of the show, in Breaking Bad, they they took a character that you kind of liked in the first episode, and they spent multiple seasons breaking him down so that by the end of it, he was the person you wanted to die the most. Mm. And the book of Judges starts thinking, it starts with us thinking, well, oh, man, this is so great. Look what God has done. He's given the people their land. Like it's finally happening. All that's been promised for all these chapters before is finally going down. And Judges ends with us feeling like the Israelites are the grossest, sickest group of people in the whole land. I don't like this at all. Where is God in this? What's happening? And that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. And you're supposed to feel that way because the last verse is... In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's mad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's just, yeah, it's terrible. So that's the basic storyline. It's a thing. All right. So now we move on to the deeper dive. Got two big categories today that we're going to do within this one. The first one is just the the town of Bethlehem. I don't know if you noticed in the story that I just told the the gross, disgusting one, and I threw out the detail, but it probably got washed over by all the weirdness. Probably, it's right? Okay. This this young lady is from Bethlehem, and she shows up to her dad's house, and she's living there. And you're, so you're like, oh, I know hmm. Bethlehem, and we know Bethlehem because of that little song. You know what song? Oh, little town oh. of Bethlehem. I don't know about you, but like every time I hear the word Bethlehem, that rolls through my head at some point. And it's a famous town for one very significant yes. reason, right? I mean, when we, even when we when we are talking this over with with our young adult Bible study, you know, I, I said, "Why is Bethlehem important?" And someone said, "Well, because Jesus was born there." Y- yeah, that. <laughs> Basically, it's claim to fame. Kind of a big deal. And and Bethlehem, even at the time of Jesus, was very small, rural. I mean, we're talking like podunk, middle of nowhere town. And, But the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem is tied to where the story is going to go over the next couple of weeks. Because we're going to dive into Ruth. And so we're going to start to dig into this a little bit more. But I want to lay the groundwork now for you to notice. Bethlehem is nowheresville, Israel. It's just nothing. It's a... It's been mentioned a few times in Judges, so there's some some part of it that you're like, oh, this feels somewhat familiar to mm-hmm. me. But all of the stories so far have been really nasty and, and gross. When we move into Ruth, it's going to be slightly less nasty, kind of beautiful, but also a little weird, right? It is beautiful. And then when Ruth is done, Ruth's going to have a baby who's going to have some babies, going to have some other babies, and eventually down the line, Ruth's you know, great-great-grandson is a guy that we know by name throughout all of history, whether it's because of a statue of him that's in Italy that everyone talks about, (laughs) right? Or if you just know the story, you know, if I bring up Bathsheba, you probably have a name attached to it, right? If I say Goliath, you probably have this. And all of that's attached to David, right? That's the name. Mm -hmm. And and David was, was from Bethlehem. And because Jesus is a descendant of David, at the time of the census in Luke, they have to go back to where they're from, and they end up in, in specifically in Matthew and Luke. It tells us exactly where he went. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Joseph and Mary were both from the line of David, and went back to be counted there. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I could use this as a moment to remind everyone it's 2020 and the census is happening, and we should do that. Be counted, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but uh, but the the truth of the <laughs> the truth of this is is Bethlehem. 
becomes a major deal because of David. The reason why Jesus mm-hmm. is born there is because of David. And David is born there because of Ruth. And Ruth's story picks up right where the book of Judges leaves us. Well, and do they actually say the town of David? Like when they refer to Bethlehem at times? Later on. Yes, that's what I thought. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know they say the, that he will be born of the lineage of David, but I've also heard that that was, yeah, but and he'll be born in the town of David. Yeah, some have called it that. To Bethlehem. City of David is attached okay. to Jerusalem, okay. but that's five miles away. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I went to Israel, we stood where Herod is buried in the Herodium, and the Herodium overlooks Bethlehem. And as you look at Bethlehem, you see Jerusalem right off in the distance. Okay. So it's basically you know, kind of a hilly region, but there's like a valley between all of it. And you can just, it's all right there. So some have speculated that, you know, when Herod was maybe out on his balcony looking at his amazing kingdom one night, the stars aligned differently. And all of a sudden there's shepherds running to town. You know, like it's, it's all possible that this whole story is tied together, but, and, and all of it is basically what I'm saying is this Bethlehem is a huge deal because of Jesus but Bethlehem is only a place where Jesus is born because of David, which is only to Ruth, and Ruth is connected to Judges. So this little tiny town all of a sudden starts to become a big deal, but you don't know it quite yet if you're in the storyline. So if you're reading Bethlehem, you're like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I didn't realize that. Uh, the Bible's full of these things. There's all these moments, and this is part of why I brought it up for the deeper dive. The Bible is full of these things that you read this community, and you're like, ah, where do I know that from? And you probably know for somewhere else in the Bible. And there's this string of connection that you're supposed to start to put together. And so I, I ran through that very briefly, but that's that. But I do want to just you know throw out really quickly, Bet-Lachem is the Hebrew word, and that means house of bread. Hmm. Kind of a cool little, right? And it's a little farming community, so it makes sense. They would call it the house of bread, you know. Um, but it's neat that the bread of, the, of life is born in, in the, the house, house of bread. bread. It's like a really cool connection. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. Second one is this, and this is, again, like I said, the deeper dive, the point of this segment is for us to go a little deeper in some stuff that maybe people just kind of skim over. I know not everybody loves this part of the podcast, but it gives us a chance to kind of dig a little bit. And the other big thing with this story that we want to dig into is the tribe of Benjamin is almost wiped out here. So then it should be extremely interesting to us when we turn the page in 1 Samuel And the very first king chosen over Israel is from the tribe of Benjamin. Interesting. It's right. I mean, Mm -hmm. so, so usually when you read the story of Saul becoming king, you're like, oh, he's a head, he's a head taller than everybody else. That's so great. But you skip over the part that he's, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, but the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely destroyed. So, you know, if we were to like fast forward that to 2020, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't pick Kings in the United States, but we're about to have an election this year, you know, to determine some, some very important pieces of of government for us. And, you know, if, if somebody said, ah, oh, we're going to pick somebody from that tribe, like it's the smallest tribe. And they just, or like, we almost wiped them out a couple of years ago because some gross stuff had happened. Like you can just see the smear campaign starting. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? And what's interesting is uh, they don't do that to him. They're just like, he's so tall. I want to totally have him as king. Let's go. He's you know, good looking. and it's very interesting that, that we read it. We miss all those details, but in Israel, I would have read it and been like, Whoa, that didn't go well for them just a little bit ago. And now they're picking a king from that tribe. Like that's kind of messed up. Yeah. And then the most famous Saul of the Bible actually isn't even the king, right? We know him as Paul. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, that's how we refer to him. But, 
But his his Hebrew name is Saul, Shaul, and Shaul is tied to, so he's named after the first king of Israel. Interesting. Because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. So Shaul or, or Saul, that's his, his Hebrew name and his Greek name or his Roman name is Paulos, and that's where we get the name Paul. He went by both his whole life. There was never a point where... He suddenly shifted. Uh, the reason why people have sort of sensed a shift is because he's in the Hebrew world in the beginning of the book of Acts, mm-hmm. but by the end of the book of Acts, he's he's Paul uh, because he's dealing with Gentiles all the time. And so he's using the name that would actually apply to that. You know, if you went around to Rome and you're like, my name is Shaul, they'd be like Jew and they'd like throw you out. You know, but if you're like, my name is Paulos, they're like, oh, you have a Roman name. You are very important. Like, even though I can tell you're Jewish, you're Roman. Because like, yeah, he's both. And he was. He yeah. had Roman citizenship. Yeah. So his family had actually... Whether it was his dad or his grandpa, whoever, and this is totally down the road, but uh, they had enough money to basically buy citizenship, and the Roman people gave them a name. Paulus, which is a big deal. A huge. And, Ro- and Paul then is born into a Roman family, so he's born a citizen, which is a huge deal in the book of Acts. But all that to say, Paul's a big deal. He's the most famous Benjamite in the whole Bible, but he's named, his Hebrew name is named after the king, right? Because why wouldn't you name your kid after a king? Because it's a huge thing. So just a couple of little things I wanted to throw out there and kind of let people see, you know, some of the connections between Bethlehem and Benjamin and this this end of the story. We're going to do a whole Judges recap episode after this, and you'll get a chance to kind of dig into more of the details. But there's not a lot more going on here for the deeper dive that I want to touch on because uh, it's just so nice. I'm not sure I want to go any deeper, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not going to have like a, a carving station and talk about how to, put, you know, cut Stop. something into 12 parts and send them. Stop it. That's wrong. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> That reminds me of like a buffet. Stop it. (laughs) Here's your vegetables and here's your carving station. Ah. Welcome to Golden Corral. (laughs) All righty. Let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. All right. What do we got? So as we've seen throughout this entire book, when we get far from God and his plan and his purpose, we begin doing things that we never thought we would ever do. I do not think that a lot of these people woke up and were like, I'm going to do this today. Like, I'm... I'm, well, maybe Samson. Maybe maybe he did. But he's far from God anyway. So. Dude, I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to take a gate <laughs> and I'm 25 up a miles up a hill. But like, I mean, at, even in my life, I've heard so many people kind of say, I don't know how I got here. Yep. Or I don't like so many people have kind of been like, yeah, I, I never thought I would do this. And it's the small choices and it's the small steps that end up getting you to be into big choices and big steps that you never thought that you would ever make. And that's a huge thing I noticed from high school to college. That transition, so many people were like, I never thought that I would do that, or I never thought I would become this, or that I would become a part of that or be like that. And a lot of it had to do with their community that they had in high school they no longer had in college. And so then... Whatever community would take them, they they clung to and they realized, oh, this is not the community that I had before. And now I'm making these small choices and sacrifices and justifications and and I'm getting farther and farther and farther away from God and, and his plan and his purpose. And then I wake up one day and I'm like, whoa, what in the world just happened? How did I get here? 
And it's because you've made those little, little choices as, as you've gone and become farther and farther away from God. And you see that throughout Judges that, yeah, they, as it's been trickled through that they're doing what's right in their own eyes, it's because they are farther and farther away from God. And that's why we're at the end of this. And it is such a crazy story with this guy cutting up his concubine to send it around to people. Like, that's like something you watch on Criminal Minds. Like, that's mm-hmm. because that's not normal. If we saw this in the very beginning, I think we would be a little bit more shocked. But the fact that we're seeing it at the end, it's kind of like it kind of makes sense with what we've seen throughout Judges, you know, because they're so far from where they should be. And if you're listening to this, we we have no idea how you found this podcast, but maybe this is the first episode you listened to because someone said you need to listen to this one or whatever. If you're listening to this and you're thinking right now, I totally relate with that. I am not who I used to be and I don't know how I got here. Can we just, the hope of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, which means good news is that it's never too late. All you have to do, the word that we use there is repent. And it means change your mind, make one decision today that I'm not going to be like I was yesterday, put the drink down and say, I'm done. Or, you know, gather your clothing, cross to the other side of campus and get away or. Yeah, we can go down the list of all the possibilities here, but you, you know what I'm saying. Like, you know who we're speaking to here. And the truth is it is never too late. And all it takes is the first step of saying, God, I know that I'm not good enough. I know that you are. Help me. Give me what I need to get through today. And every time you make mistakes for your whole life, all it takes is that one, that one little decision, right? That about face. And there's no point in judges where that happens, where they say, oh, I totally shouldn't have done this. I should have gone back. I mean, there's moments where like characters go, oh, I'm going to do this this way this time, you know, and there, it's all, it, it just never feels like everybody repents. Like nobody mm-hmm. really gets to the point where they're like, oh man, I can't believe I just did that. I'm totally going to change the, you know, who I am. But if you, if that's you, judges isn't meant to make you think, oh, it's okay for me to keep sliding down this. Judges mm-hmm. is supposed to be like a warning signal to you. Stop. It's going to go bad for you. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm just like thinking amen welcome to the to the party i think all of us even in this room there's three of us there's days when i've woken up and been like what i i didn't think i would be here either and it might not be like major things but it's just little things where i'm like i just said that why did i just say that that was not what i should have done or said or whatever it might be but the truth is yes that grace is abundant and because that grace is abundant, as you said, that doesn't mean you keep living how you're living. It's that you keep turning back every single time. Right. Um, but just as little steps took you down the path of where you didn't want to be, little steps can bring you back as well. But there are some other big things, as you said, like cutting that off and, you mm-hmm. know, and moving to the other side. But, yeah, that was really good. And just as um, – yeah, I, I mean – in just pulling from what happened in Judges as well, they were supposed to be destroying the outsiders in the beginning, and they're so far removed from where they're supposed to be that now they're destroying themselves. And I think that's what happens with us too when we get so far from where we're supposed to be is that we start destroying ourselves rather than, I shouldn't say outsiders, but you know what I mean, rather than destroying the things that are, are in our way, we end up destroying ourselves. Yeah, and the church can do that sometimes. Right. I mean, the church is not, we're not at war with the outside, but we are in the midst of a war and we're supposed to be sharing the good news with the outside. And sometimes what ends up happening, instead of dealing with what we're supposed to be dealing with, we turn inward and start tearing each other apart. 
True. So you read Judges and you're like, oh, that's gross. And then we've probably all been a part of a health unhealthy church situation at some point where we're like, oh, oh this is bad. Yeah. Like we're tearing ourselves apart. This is messed up. And so before we start throwing stones about that, you know, Judges being so messed up, that's kind of what we do. And maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've learned throughout the Bible reading it as well is instead of passing major judgment on these people, kind of realizing that, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, like nothing is new under the sun and we do this too, you know. Um, We are very guilty of it as well. Um, Kind of going along the same lines, whenever you're kind of feeling, and we kind of talked about this, like if you're feeling icky, like you're supposed to feel icky, right? Like that's kind of what you were talking about. Um, Because, and like wondering where God is and that God isn't there. That's why it feels icky. And that's kind of what I was thinking about too with life, that when you're feeling icky about something in life, that's probably because God is not there. Or that's probably because you're supposed to feel icky because God is not there. And so like trusting that feeling and and noticing it and kind of being like, yeah, that's because God is not in that. God is not about that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is the Bible is full of imagery like this. I stand at the door at knock. I, I want to get in there. I want to do stuff. You know, one of the sermon series that we did recently, I just said, Jesus is a terrible dinner guest. Because you invite him in and he rearranges all the furniture of your life and starts to totally change who you are. And so every single time in my life where I felt icky, which is a great word to describe there, it's an area that I've closed the door on letting God do what he wants to do with it. I haven't let him transform that part of my life. And it's using my own stubbornness, my own pride, my own or whatever the issues are that I'm dealing with. So I'm not saying that God is not capable of going there. And that's not what you're saying either. It's not that God can't do it. But for whatever reason, the God of the universe, and this is crazy to me, he does not go in the, to places that he's not invited. And there are moments where he pushes down the doors. And, you know, I've heard of friends who woke up one day and were like, I'm done drinking. And it just overwhelmed them. And they didn't invite God in, but God just overwhelmed them. And that's what needed to happen for them. But there's a lot of us, I think every one of us has parts of our heart that have we've locked off away from the Lord. And he might go after it someday, but he's not he's not in the business of pushing in and doing what, what we don't want him to do, which is a weird thing. And I'm not saying he can't. For just whatever reason, he doesn't do that a lot. So we kind of got to let him in. Well, yeah, I think that's the, it, yeah, that's the total point of it. He says he stands at the door and knocks, but like you have to open the door. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing that I've noticed with that scripture is like, you actually have to invite him in. And he's like, and then we're going to eat and we're going to have, you know, a meal together. But it's like, but you actually have to, you have to do something, you know, by physically, not physically opening the door, but you know what I mean? Like actually doing something. Um, and even just in general with life, if you're feeling icky with something that you hear, or if you're feeling uneasy about that could be a good indicator that that God is not in that. Like that is not about what he is going to be about. And kind of noticing that too and kind of being like, oh, that's sin, you know, that's missing the mark. That is not what's going to bring me life and value and um, what's going to spur me on to good works. So, And like in that situation where that ver- that verse happens in Revelation, mm-hmm. he's actually speaking to a church that he he's going to deal with harshly. So even if they open the door, they're not going to like him coming in. <laughs> it's Well, we usually don't, to be honest. But, but, you I know? Think, but I think we sometimes think that that's what that story is saying. You know what I'm saying? Is like, have a meal. oh, we're going to invite Jesus in and everything's going to go great. Like, 
what's happening in that passage is actually, I'm at the door, I'm knocking. Are you letting me in so I can rearrange? I'm going to fix everything. It's going to be painful. You're not going to like it, but it's going to be better for everyone if you let me do it. Otherwise, you're going to get snuffed out. (laughs) Bye. You know what I'm saying? And we always think of it as like Jesus at the door, not like he's smiling with like a, you know, a bread basket that he brought over. Which he might. He might. I'm not saying he's he's not smiling, but... Every time that I let Jesus in, it doesn't go the way I think it's going to go. Oh, yeah. No, it does not. And it always hurts me way more than I think it's going to. And I'm always way better off, even for the pain, than I ever thought I could be. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're both saying. Yes. But it, but that's the point, is when you're feeling icky, it's because he's not there. Mm-hmm. Invite him in. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. It's not going to be the funnest thing you've ever gone through, but it'll be worth it. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thinking of that, too, it's... It's almost like sitting down with a good therapist in some ways. Like they they poke you and they prod you and they get you to think of things in a different way and they get you to deal with behaviors and habits that have been built up for years that you never even realized were like maybe unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, because going to therapy is not always pleasant either, but it is extremely beneficial. And I feel like that's a way that God gets us to to kind of – Bring us back around. But that's kind of what I think of. You You come in and you're like, this, this ain't going to be great, <laughs> but I know it's worth it. And it's, yeah, it's kind of, that's why we open the door. Like, it might not feel fantastic, but I know it's worth it. And the last piece of let's get practical, probably the most helpful advice you can give anybody is? Let's just not cut people, okay? Okay. Let's just not. Great idea. Keep the knives for food. Don't eat them either because that's not okay either. Cannibalism is frowned upon in most cultures. That just reminds me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, that got weird in a good way. But he's like, everything in this room is eatable. Edible. He says eatable. But he says, yeah. but except humans. That's yeah. cannibalism is frowned upon in most cultures. Anyway, sorry. That's one of my favorite movies. But, but yes, let's just like keep. No, let's just not cut people. Practical. You're All welcome. Right. All right. Well, keeping with the theme of the show. Oh, little numbers of Enneagram, I wonder which one is mine. <laughs> I love it. You That's didn't see fantastic. that coming. It's not even close not. to Christmas, but we I did not we'd see pull it coming. All right, what do we got today? Um, so we don't have people necessarily to talk about today, but you I don't want to do the Levite and his concubine. <laughs> uh, no, they're forced. Um, <laughs> I'm a four. Um, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we all have good and bad, right? So the thing I wanted to talk about dealing with the Enneagram today is kind of how we make decisions. And the Enneagram has nine numbers that are split up into three groups based on how people kind of make decisions. So we have the head, the heart, and the gut. And those are the three main places that we live. And it's really how one you kind of gravitate towards one of them. And it's kind of how we filter life and how we make decisions. And knowing which one is you is really helpful, uh, not just to know, but in order for us to like grow and not be one-sided and not continue to um, make rash decisions or to maybe be too indecisive or whatever it might be. Um, But just continuing to remember that all of these are just tools and that God is the true changer. We've kind of talked about that a lot with letting him in. And without him, you're just kind of merely changing for this life and not for anything after that. So God is what gives us the meaning and value and the purpose behind all of the changing that we actually do. 
So I'm going to start with the gut. These are the eight, nine, and one. And if you don't know those numbers, um, the eight is the more challenger, the nine is the peacemaker, and the one is more of the perfectionist. Okay. Um, so they, and all three of these deal how they deal with people. The gut person more kind of deals with people in opposition to people. You kind of see the world as a battleground, and anger is kind of how you react the majority of the time. And each one of those numbers react in different ways with anger. They repress it. They might show it. It's different ways. But anger is still how they react the majority of the time. Because, um, yeah, it can be in outward shown, internalized, or avoided. They are far more aggressive and assertive. And when I say gut, it's more that they they. They react more out of instinct, and they're kind of almost like animalistic. Like, I don't know how else to word that, but um, they actually kind of call it, like, it's the, the sexual number, which it's not meaning that necessarily. It's just meaning that it's it's more, um, yeah, aggressive, uh, animalistic, instual, in, I don't know how else to just say it. but yeah, kind of Instinctual or yes, passionate. Yes, yes, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and one way to kind of get yourself to be, uh, like, a more – grounded person if you if you find that that's you where you're like I I am angry a lot of the time is kind of meditating by yourself and taking time to be quiet and still it can kind of help you to grow more as a person you you gain a lot more empathy that way towards other people um so that would be the gut okay and then we have the heart these are people who base almost everything out of feeling so these are the four, the three, and the two numbers. So the two is a helper, the three is an achiever, and the four is a an individualist romantic type of person. And these people, they move towards people. Um, and they're working from their, their heart and their feelings, all based on the feelings. And they react... Um, they Their reactions are actually based more on other people's feelings and behaviors. So these people, they have a hard time being alone, and they really value being with others. They see life as a task to be mastered. They're far more concerned with prestige and image than the other two, the the gut and the head. They can be ruled by what others think of them more than the other two can. Uh, doing things alone and being okay with being alone is a huge step in the right direction. Because they base even how they see themselves based on how other people see them. So understanding who they are based on what how God sees them rather than others can take time, but it is necessary for these numbers to reduce looking to others to get their identity and in turn negatively affecting their emotions and their self-image. So that's me. I am more of a um, the, the heart person. And so I'm working on being more balanced with my gut and my head as well. So. And then the last one is the the head, which kind of just makes sense. It's they process things in their minds before they do a lot of things. That is the five, the six, and the seven. Um, these numbers are in their heads often. They're very analytical and they're calculated. They are drawn away from others. They feel life as kind of like a riddle or a mystery. They act only after thinking things over. And they can be seen as kind of taking a step back from people to assess before they actually move forward. Head people need to take the the step from thinking to acting and from isolation to community. So it's not bad to be by yourself and it's not bad to think, but they actually need to move forward and kind of um, take actions and actually make decisions. And they need to be around people a little bit more often than maybe they're comfortable with. 
They can actually struggle with faith because it does not fit with what they see and have experienced. And um, and that is kind of their goal is to turn their doubts actually into true faith and believing even if they don't see. So um, it's really important to kind of think of who you are and how you make decisions because if you continually make decisions just based on how you're feeling, that's slightly irrational and it can change super quickly. And that's not like it's really hard to be around people. And you know those people. It's hard to be around people who either think way too much and never make a decision. And you're just like, seriously, do something or that make decisions way too quickly. And then you're probably the one dealing with the fallout or their feelings are up and down and they're making a decision today that they regret and they wish they would have made a different decision. But how their feelings were. So it's really important to know which one you are and kind of start to move in a different direction. So myself being a feelings-based person, I have really started to move more towards the head, but also listening to my gut. So I've started to actually process what my feelings are and if they're valid, but also trying to not react based out of them and just almost taking a step back like the head does and just being like, okay, I might need to remove myself to let my feelings fizzle down a little bit before I actually react, but also listening to what the gut is actually saying and sometimes just doing it and not necessarily always thinking. So do you have an idea of where you would be? No. Head, gut, heart? Quit, quit trying to pin me down. No. I'm trying to think, who would you be? I don't really care. Head, gut, or your heart. And the truth is for all of these things, yeah, you can, you can learn more about yourself and choose to do that, but you would agree wholeheartedly that a relationship with the Lord is the best way to become healthy. Oh, yes. Right. And this is an assisting part of your relationship with the Lord or something that maybe helps the Holy, helps you see what the Holy Spirit's saying to you or what, what he might be trying to teach you. Yeah. No, my, my foundation, my, my foundational self-image and identity has all come from him, which is what I fall on every single time. Right. So it makes this stuff, I'm, I allow myself far more grace because of it. And the negative self-talk is less because of it. Because if I just looked at this stuff and I didn't have that, I would probably just beat myself up all of the time. Right. Um, but this, I think, has helped me get a, a little, like, it's just helped make sense of some of it a little bit more. And then I'm like, oh, so that's, yeah, that's what that is kind of a thing. Rather than this is not my be all end all. This is how I base my life. It's just more so, oh, other people think that way too. Like, that's good. Like, because I used to think I was kind of crazy. So it's just helped make sense a little bit more of it. Doesn't always necessarily change it, but it just makes sense of it. Whereas God actually is the one that kind of changes it, if that makes sense. Cool. No, it's good. All right. We're almost done with judges. One more judges episode and then on to root. Root. I'm excited for Ruth. It's going to be great. It's the glimmer, the glimmer of hope that we needed. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the Yamcast.
That's a wrap. Oh. Good job.